Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right, wonderful. Shabbat shalom, everyone. I'm glad all of you guys are here today. Um, it's a nice hot day in Arizona, and it's wonderful. <laughs> but um, let me open in prayer, and then we can get into our, our, our study of where we're at. Father, Father Yehovah, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy that you show to each and every one of us. Father, we come here to grow closer to you, to understand your words, to understand your principles, and to be empowered by your spirit so that we can overcome all things that are before us and to, be, to grow in the image of your son, that perfect example that you've given us. We thank you again, Father. Amen. All right. So, um, first of all, uh, um, Paul's not here today, but John has the mic, so if you have any questions or comments, John, just raise your hand, John will come to you, and we just ask, the, again, the same things, be, um, be brief and on point of what we're talking about, and let's not try to get ahead of the text, that way we can all learn at the same pace, and I know that's hard with Scripture, okay, I, believe me, I know it's hard, but we can do that. So, um, and those online, thank you for joining us, um, and, and we would uh, appreciate any, any kind of donations. You can go to livingmessiah.com, and we just thank you for being part of this as well. Um, where we're at, we're obviously in the book, uh, book of John, the first chapter. We're getting towards the end. We'll probably finish up uh, next week with the first, first chapter. But um, just to give you an idea of where we're at, okay, um, some of the, some men came from Jerusalem, came out to John. John's immersing or baptizing in the Jordan River, all right? And some men were sent by the Pharisees from Jerusalem out to question them, what, who gave you, the, who's given you authority? Why are you doing this? Are you the prophet? Um, are you Elijah? You know, are you the one from Moses? And um, all that stuff. So we covered a lot of that last week. Um, maybe not that in-depth, but again, um, um, you'll have to go back and you have to do some of your own studying as well too. So, but where we're at, that gives you an idea of where we're at. So this whole idea of uh, baptism and the immersion going on, I'm sure you heard a lot of other teachings about it. And what I want to do is there's uh, one specific thing that I want to kind of focus on that is in the idea of um, baptism or immersion, okay? That's where I want to kind of focus. Um, so, first of all, it's interesting that I, I found, it by looking at the text, the, the book of John, um, it doesn't record Yahshua or the Messiah's baptism like the other Gospels. It really doesn't really say it at all. But Matthew and Luke are kind of detailed uh, on that in the sense of saying he got baptized, and I'll show you that. Um, and, and Mark is very, it's a very quick thing that's in Mark as well. So in that, let's look at the other Gospels of this time period or this section in time, okay? 
so, um, so in Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew, this is where we're at. And indeed, um, indeed, indeed, immersion, I will immerse you in water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to bear. This is where we're at. Our, um, this is that same time period in Matthew. So I highlighted things. So immersion in water is for repentance. I think a lot of us understand that. And he, and then the one he shall, there, then John's baptizing, but he's saying there's one's going to come and baptize you in, the, or immerse you in the set apart spirit and in fire. That's what Matthew has here. So, and then we see, do see clearly Yeshua came from Galilee and, uh, to John in the Jordan and he emerged, uh, emerged and he was emerged or baptized by him there. So, having been emerged, then Yeshua went immediately from the water and see from the heavens were open and uh, he saw the spirit of Elohim descending him on him like a dove. And then we get the, the, the voice that comes out of the heaven saying, this is my son in whom uh, my beloved in whom I delight or well pleased. Um, then the spirit leads them then into the wilderness. There's a common theme as we go through these and I'll, I'll bring them all together as, as we do that. So what we also see here is, you know, these people, why did they come out to John? They came out to John to be emerged, but ultimately it was, and they were confessing their sins. So we see this idea, like I said, of a repentance and the confessions of sin that is going on. So let's go to Luke, and we'll see a little bit more detail what's going on in Luke as well. And as it has been written... In the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, A voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way, um, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain uh, and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become, uh, the crooked, the crooked shall become straight, and the rough uh, become smooth ways. And all the flesh shall see the deliverance of Elohim. Okay? So now we got introduced in this whole idea that's going on in this time period. Obviously, there's deliverance associated as well with for the forgiveness of sins or the repentance going on. Then it goes on later on down here in Luke 18. And urging many others, he brought the good news to the people. Now, what I think it's kind of fascinating... We always, uh, I think, a lot of us of our upbringing, the good news is always seems to be the death and resurrection of the Messiah. I'm not disagreeing, but it's interesting right here. John's already bringing forth good news. What would that good news be? I mean, it, it existed beforehand. So anyhow, we will come back to that as well. And it came to be when all the people were emerged, Yeshua also being emerged. So we see here Yeshua was being emerged by John the Baptist. And let me see what else I have here. And again, the, John went into the whole neighborhood or the surrounding areas proclaiming the same thing here that uh, it's in verse 3 right before this proclaiming immersion of repentance for the forgiveness of sins so there's a purpose of what they're doing 
and I'm sure most of us, like I said, have heard many teachings of baptism, but we want to focus on the idea of repentance and forgiveness. That's, that's the key thing that's going on here. That's why they came out. And um, Mark is no different. I'll read that to you. I don't have it up because it's somewhat the same day. And it came to be in those days that Yeshua came from Nazareth Gallery and it was emerged by John, um, John at the, uh, the Jordan River. And the same thing, you know, he came up out of the water, the voice, the dove came down upon him. And the same thing, this is my beloved in whom I delight. The common, the place that I want to focus on, both we read it in uh, John previously, I think it was like last week, okay? And, and, and we see it in Luke, and we see it in Matthew, is it's about this prophet. Why is John recognizing, or the author of John, recognizing uh, this, this thing, as it has been written in the book of the words of Isaiah. Isaiah is being referenced here. The prophet Isaiah is... So this is something that all the authors are referring to, so to me it must be important, at least for this section in this story, I would say. And that, that whole thing, when questioned John, he said, you know, I'm that voice. John is particularly going, or even John the Baptist, not only just the author of John, but John the Baptist is saying, I'm the one crying in the wild. So what does that to mean to us? So I would suggest then, and I'm running on this mindset, however we are to understand baptism and this whole idea is going on, we have a reference in Isaiah that is pretty important, okay? So it was important enough to those who were hearing it, let alone why John would say that. Why would John pick that scripture out of nowhere, okay? So if that is, I'm running on the assumption that it's very important for us to understand the concept of what's going on here and maybe something else that is, that is, let me say it this way, that I think is right here, but maybe we kind of miss it. And maybe we missed it a lot because we would go back, and oh yeah, look, he's quoted this part of Isaiah, and we just read that little verse, and then we jump back to the New Testament. And we don't go back and read what was in Isaiah to get some context of something else that was there, why they were coming out, okay? Yes, for repentance, for forgiveness of sin, but there's something else that I think is bigger that's there that we maybe overlooked um, just from um, our upbringing and the, the institutions that we've come out of. So the hearers at that time, they heard this. It meant something, or it meant something very powerful to them because my guess is a lot of them knew Isaiah where he was quoting from. Or they knew a continuing theme that was always there. One, obviously, would be the Torah and the commandments. But there was, to me, there's something else that was there. So what does this have to do with the Father, our Heavenly Father, what He has said through Isaiah? Isaiah. 
Real quick, I said this last week, I'll say it again. We obviously see, you know, the Spirit coming down like a dove and remaining on Him, okay? 31, I, I did not know, uh, know Him, but that He might be revealed to Israel. That's a very important statement there, okay? And it didn't say that I'd be revealed to just the Jews. He'd be revealed to Israel. Okay, and I showed you already uh, the connection that we see because of the Lamb of God that takes us back to Exodus, the Exodus story. And all this is being revealed through immersion, repentance, and this spirit now, the spirit in the dove, and the connection there. So with that, let's go to Isaiah Look at Isaiah for a foundation, and then we can come forward. And then I'd like to show you uh, something that's, I think, very precious that we need to understand even today in, in what's going on here. Isaiah 40, because I believe you're supposed to take that verse and go back in its context, what was written before it and after. Uh, you know, so... And as I read this, remember where we're at. Remember, this is the Lamb of God, John cries out. And, and what's about to happen, the immersion, the forgiveness of sins. So Isaiah 40 opens, this, this is wonderful. Comfort, comfort my people, says our Elohim, our God. Speak to the heart of Jerusalem and cry out to her that her hard service is complete, that her crookedness is pardoned, that she has received uh, from the hand of Yahuwah double for her sins. Because remember, it was a, the religious group that was hanging out, not all Jews, it was a specific group, the authority, so to speak, that was in Jerusalem, okay? Sent people out to John, what are you doing here? Sometimes I think it was more like, do you really have the right to do what you're doing? Okay, I'm running on that, uh, that idea. So, but we see that kind of playing here in Isaiah. And then John says what? Oh, we're in Isaiah, I'm sorry. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh, make straight in the desert a highway for our Elohim. Let every valley be raised, every mountain made low, let the sh uh, every mountain be, uh, I'm sorry, mountain and hill be made low, and the sheep, uh, the steep ground shall become level, and the rough places smooth, and the esteem or the glory of Yahuwah shall be revealed, and all flesh together shall see it, for the mouth of Yahuwah has spoken. That's interesting. If we go back and we put it in context what John just said. Behold the Lamb of God. And then later on that we see maybe what happens. Yahuwah shall be revealed and all flesh together shall see the unveiling of Yahuwah. Then it goes on. The voice said, cry out. And he cry out. And he said, what do I cry? Oh, this is interesting. All flesh is grass, and all the loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass shall wither, the flower shall fade, when the Spirit of Yahuwah has blown on it. Truly, the people is grass. You, let me interpret, or let me tell you what that's kind of saying here. 
When the Spirit shows up, it will take out anything that is not proper. Because all flesh is grass. All men are men. And the Spirit, when He shows up, or the Spirit of Elohim, the Spirit of God, of Yahuwah, wow. That doesn't sound Spirit-like, like the Spirit's going to come out and take you out if you're not on the right side, does it? Because we always get this fluffiness by the Holy Spirit. But right here is quite clear, the Spirit of Yahuwah, the set-apart Spirit of Yahuwah, has blown on it, and truly the people are grass. The grass shall wither, the flower shall fade. But what? The word of our Elohim stands forever. There's a little bit of hope there, isn't it? It means his word's going to stand forever. So now, do we not see the association with the spirit and the words again? Yes, Joe. Okay, in verse 6, it says, A voice said, Cry out. And he said, What do I cry? You know, a question mark. What do I cry? And then he said, all the grasses, uh, all flesh is grass, and all the lemons of flowers of the field. Mm -hmm. Grass will wither, the flowers will fade. When the Spirit has blown on a tree, the people is grass. Then it says also, grass shall wither, the flowers shall fade. But the word of our Elohim stands forever. That's what you cry. Exactly. So we see, we see, thank you, Joe, we see this uh, concept of the spirit and the word and the association. So the voice of one crying in the wilderness, we know this is being quoted and why. And like I said, it's just not, when we read in our New Testaments and when someone's quoting something, we just don't look at it, oh, it's quoted and carry on our way. We have to understand why. So we understand the, uh, the best, the, what we try to do is look at Isaiah and understand the best that we can in the context of where it's being quoted, who it's being quoted to, the historicalness of it. And I can't get into all of that, all right, because I'm going to keep it real simple. But if we don't go back and like what I'm trying to do here, look at it in its context, we're not going to understand what's happening in John and why that verse was quoted. Okay? And I'll show you why. So, the, and, and if that's the case, if we're not doing that, then we're going to severely misunderstand John's message. And we're going to understand, because the message is about the Messiah, right? We'd all agree. So if we don't understand that, then we're not going to understand Messiah himself. You, you follow what I'm saying? If we don't understand uh, or have the context of what's being said in that context, the context then when it's being used in John, okay, we're, we're not going to get the fullness, let's say, of what's going on. So that's what I want to do. So he's referencing something here. Did you know Isaiah is actually refer referencing something else too? And I'll show you here. He's referencing something else that, has gone, uh, that goes all the way back. The word of Elohim from the very beginning. And this has always been the, the whole example for all generations. And I'll show you. Let's continue. And you shall bring good news. Oh, there's the good news. To, uh, to Zion or Zion. 
Get up into the high mountains, you who bring good news to Jerusalem. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift up, be not afraid. So in some sense, John's quoting this saying, okay, you ask the authority what I'm doing. The good news is here, everybody. That's what he's saying in, in, in a matter of way. Say to the cities of Judah, see your Elohim. See the master Yahuwah comes with a strong hand and his arm rules for him. That's kingdom speech. That's a king coming. Okay? See, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. That's why you got to get baptized. That's why you got to repent is the key thing. He feeds his flock. We have a shepherd now. He feeds his flock and he gathers, gathers his lambs with his arms and carries them in his bosom, uh, gentle, uh, gently leading those who are with, uh, with young. Though um, who can measure the waters uh, in the hollow of his hand and measure the heavens? And we see this. This is going back, obviously, back to Genesis and the power of who is speaking, who Isaiah is speaking for, okay? Who has, who has metered out the spirit of Yahuwah, all right? That's a big one because if we think we nailed down the Holy Spirit, how he operates... It says here, who has metered out? Who has measured the Holy Spirit of Yahuwah? Or who has counseled or taught him? But this is where I want to get at. Why do you say Jacob and speak, and speak O Israel, my, ways, my way is hidden from Yahuwah. My, my rights are overlooked by my Elohim. Do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting Elohim, Yahuwah, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor, nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to those who have no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men stumble and fall. Isaiah is getting this concept from this next verse, okay? So in some ways, I would say Isaiah is not bringing forth anything new. And when John's quoting Isaiah, he's not quoting anything new, something that's been established already. And here's the kicker. It's in 31. But those who wait on Yahuwah renew their strength. They raise up. The wings like eagles, they run and are not weary, they walk and do not faint. That's an awesome thing. That's an awesome verse. And I know I, I do a lot of stuff for the Christian Motorcycle Association here and there in the past, right? And this is a cool verse. I've seen a lot of their Harleys. They have this verse written on the side of their Harleys, all right? About the eagles, you know, we're not going to faint, we're going to be, you know, and I, it's awesome, but this is a quote from somewhere else. This concept is coming from somewhere else, almost per, verbatim. So what my point here is, and what's all this have to do with what I'm trying to tell with the story of John and the baptism? So let's see where 
Isaiah is getting this concept from. And it will, I'm hoping it will come together for you. Because this is a very specific event. But those who wait on Yahuwah, on the wings of eagles, it's a, let me ask you guys. It, actually, this event is in Exodus 19. What is in Exodus 19? I know, I, I mean, anybody know? John. Doesn't he say you'll be a nation? Of, it's right before the, the Ten Commandments. But doesn't he say you'll be a nation of priests and kings? It, yeah, it, it does mention that, yes. But that's, I guess my broader point is, in Exodus 19, this reference out as Isaiah is bringing us at the mountain. So you see what I'm saying? John is quoting Isaiah. Isaiah is quoting something that already happened. So inadvertently, we should be at the mountain when we're reading this story about Messiah and John the Baptist. Because that's what John's telling you to know about. So where does Exodus place this? It, it places in the third month after the children of Israel have come out of the land of Egypt. On this day, they came... They came to the wilderness of Sinai, okay? For they set out from various places to the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped there. And Israel camped before the mountain. And Moses went up uh, to Elohim, and Yahuwah called to him from the mountain, saying, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, Israel, the house of Israel. And declare to the children of Israel, you have seen what I did in Egypt and what? How I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And then he goes on to add, and, and now if you dil diligently obey my voice and shall guard my covenant, and you shall be my treasured possession above all the peoples. So, real quick, this is when John's quoting Isaiah, all this is in the minds of those who have come out. Shall be a treasured, uh, uh, a treasured possession above all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be, uh, be to me a reign of priests and, set, and a set-apart people, a set-apart nation. Those, uh, those are the words which you are to speak to the children of Israel. And Moses came and called all the elders of the people and set before them all these words which Yahweh commanded him. So, we see the association, at least for me, I'd like to present to you the association of this emergence into repentance. It all goes back to the story in Exodus and it goes right back to if you diligently obey. Yes, Joe. Okay, uh, and how I bore you on eagle, eagle's wings and brought you to myself. They didn't do it. God did it. He brought them to himself. And if you know about eagles, how they get so high and then they float with the air current mm -hmm. without any, uh, any uh, energy that they're putting out. And it's a drawing thing because God takes us so high, he does it, 
and we just rest in him and let the current of his Holy Spirit guide and lead us. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. So we see this connection, uh, John. Um, so he started off talking about Jacob, right? Whether you have a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now three and four generations later, we're talking about the children of Israel. So he's renewing the covenant. I'm glad you said that because okay, that's I, awesome. I stumbled a little there, but I got it. No, out. think about it. What John just said, right here, what we have at the mountain, Exodus is like a renewal that's going on. Isn't that a whole lot what we see happening, let's say, in the New Testament, Yeshua? It's a, a refreshing of whatever has been established. Because see, here at the mountain, this is where Moses gathered everything together. And again, Elohim talked with his people. He gave the covenant. Now, did you notice something else? Where are they? It said it several times. In the wilderness of Sinai. So, this voice crying in the wilderness is nothing new. The voice that was in the wilderness crying from the mountain is one and the same concept. It goes back to this point. And I believe this is how we understand at least some of what's going on in the book of John and John's message that he's about to really unveil for us. Repentance to the Torah given to Moses, the obedience to the covenant. None of that has changed. None of it has changed. So we have to have that same mindset. So since we're talking about baptism, I'm going to go through this probably really quick so if you can, because I want to make my point uh, that I have, okay? So we have this word mikvah, and most of you guys are aware of a mikvah, right? It's that ceremonial bath that you walk down and come out, all right? So I want to, uh, I see that the water and the spirit have always been associated with. We see that in, in the scriptures, and I'll point that out. So this word mikvah, Mikvah comes from uh, uh, the, the root word uh, kavah, uh, okay? And it's a prime root, and it has with the idea to bind together or to gather or bring forth or bring, bring together, okay? So check this out. We have the word mikvah coming from that, that root word to gather. And we look in mikvah, the word mikvah, sometimes uh, it can be waiting, uh, confidence, various types of things. But I want to focus on, on this whole thing of abiding or gathering together. That's what I believe is the core idea in this Hebrew word as much as I, I, much as I can with my limited knowledge of it, okay? And why I say that, because this word mikvah pops up, both with ka'al, that the... the the root, and uh, the word mikvah itself. It's, isn't it wonderful? It's in Genesis 1.9. And Elohim said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered, kaval, come together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it, became, um, and it came to be so. Then Elohim said to the dry land, uh, called the dry land earth, and the collection, mikvah, the gathering of the waters, okay, the mikvah, of the waters he called seas, and Elohim saw it was good. 
Then it's also in Exodus when it's describing, <coughs> remember the plague of blood. It went on the rivers, the Nile and all the streams and everything. But it also was, and it was over their pools or their mikvahs, their, their pools of water where they've gathered water, whether it be cisterns or whatever. But I did find out that a lot of the Egyptian priests would do mikvahs, uh, let's say uh, immersions and um, ceremonial washings as well. Okay, so maybe in that sense, think about it. When he, when he put that plague on, not only did he kill the gods, so to speak, that were in the water, in the Nile, he also made a statement in some ways to the priestly, the priest at that time, because they had no water to purify themselves to do their things before their gods. Okay, so, that, so this word mikvah pops up there. Now, it's interesting because baptism, we do associate it with mikvah as today, okay? Uh, in a lot of way, how the words have changed, you know? And I've been to Israel. I've seen the mikvahs. And one interesting information I wasn't going to share, but I'll share this, is uh, the mikvah, the ceremony of bath walking and coming out, they didn't exist in the first temple. They only existed in the second temple onward. So that's, that's interesting in itself. And that's a whole nother kind of story looking at. But, the, but this word, tikva, anybody but Jerry know what that word tikva means? Tikva. Say it. Hope. It does. It means hope. Did you know it's related from the same root of mikvah? That's Israel's anthem, isn't it? It is. Tikva, right, is the anthem. This is what I thought was beautiful, and this is what I think is for us today very special. So, tikva, or to long for, to hope for, okay? But it's rooted in the idea is to gather, okay? Like we saw, because that's what I see in the Hebrew. All the words that are coming from a root have a same kind of concept, an action type thing going on. So, we have this idea of tikva, hope. So let me show you real quick, Jeremiah. And there is expectancy or hope, tikva, for you, for, uh, for, uh, for your latter end, declares Yahweh. He's talking to the children of Israel. And your children shall return to their own country. I have clearly heard Ephraim lamenting. You have chastised me. I was chastised like an untrained calf. Oh, isn't it? Turn back to me, Teshuva, turn back, repent back to me, and I shall return back to you. For you are my Elohim. That is beautiful. This idea of hope associated with the mikvah. So we have uh, tikvah, the hope. But we have this dove involved. Why is the dove involved? Why is the dove associated with the spirit and water associated in there too? One of the greatest stories is, is Noah, right? And he sent out the dove from him to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place, right? And then, it, and then it, he sent it out again. And 10, and he waited another seven days. That's that word kaval. Uh, to, 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 um, uh, to, like, to gather. He uh, waited yet another seven days, and again, he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came back to him in the evening, 
and see a freshly plucked olive leaf. We know the story. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. And he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return to him. It didn't return to him this time. I think that's interesting. Because we had the raven in the beginning going back and forth, back and forth. So let me say this. The dove, this, this idea of hope is in this story. And this story is no different than what is playing out right at when Messiah threw that baptism. Because see, the dove didn't return here. So, is it John kind of proclaiming the dove's coming back? The dove has returned back again. Because with the whole concept, remember, mikvah and tikvah had the idea of gathering. What's the hope for us? Seriously. We hope for Jesus to return, yesterday to return. To me, that's very, a shallow concept that Christianity has. And why I'm saying this, listen, because the hope Israel has, the hope that his people have is that they will be gathered back to him. All right? It's just not the returning. It's the gathering, the mikvah, the gathering all the people back to him. That's our hope. That's the fullness of our hope that we should have, that all the children will come together. That he's going to bring them all together. And where's that? Jerusalem. That's his land. So that's why when they came out, they were, there was more there. There was hope of what John was talking about. Just not a mere baptism and forgiveness of sin. There was a hope that they were hanging on. And you can see the thread of hope that's in just this small section of story. Because it was the king coming, maybe. Was the Messiah coming? All that was hope. Because at the end of the day of that hope that they had was a gathering of everybody back home where they needed to be. And I'll show you that. So in Noah, we see the rest and comfort, hope. So now we have hope in the sun. Into the waters we go, and out of the waters of repentance, we now have hope of that gathering. Mark. So when Polly and I were in Israel, I don't know if it was this last time or the time before, we were in Samaria, the homeland of Ephraim and Yosef, 10 northern tribes. And there was a feeling, we were, we were approaching the last day, we were about to end our stay, we were about to head back home. And we were standing there, I think it was this last time. We had this feeling as though Israelites of the northern kingdom, when they were leaving the land, being taken out by the Assyrians, mm -hmm. that there were mothers who wept and said, Lord God Almighty, may our great-grandchildren, may our descendants one day, their feet stand on this land again. They were praying for a return and a gather. They knew they were going out, but they looked forward to a time of hope that their descendants would one day return in a state of repentance and acceptance. Exactly. Thank you, Mark. So, so when you hear the word tikvah or the word hope, 
I want you to, I would suggest add to it just not an expectation, but there's more to that. That expectation is a gathering of all his people. That's what I think is the thread that's in that idea. So Israel, when they have the Hatikva, their national anthem, what are they hoping for? Are they hoping just for peace? No, they know that none, none of what Scripture is really going to have until everybody's together, till Dad brings his whole family together. Remember, that's Jeremiah's prophecy, is it not? The, the new covenant that we, you know, that we look towards, Jeremiah 31, 31, right? And remember, that covenant is only for two groups of people, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So the hope is that they come back together, whatever form that might be and whoever they are from all the nations, the hope and the hope that we should be having more, not just the return of Messiah, the return of the Messiah and bringing us all back together again as the family that he designed and a nation from the beginning that he tried, um, that he was putting together, which comes from the soul, the the. It all comes from the Exodus story. And the sad thing is, if we throw away the Torah, we throw away all the, uh, the, the, um, all the feasts in those appointed times, you know, and not fully do them to understand them, we're going to miss that. And I know a lot of people are doing them as novelty things. It's just like saying, if you follow the word, if you've been a Christian and it's a novel thing to you, sorry, you have no hope. <laughs> you, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle that you do, that you try to change. It's just not something you do on the side. And it's some kind of novelty. John, and then I'll, I'll finish up here. Were you going to go back to Isaiah 40? I wasn't going to, but... Well, if you go, can you go back to Isaiah, back to 31, verse 31? But those who wait, that's the same, 869.60, the, the same root word for it the mikvah. Yeah. Like John said, well, let me find where I was real quick. We read that, okay. So... Yahuwah, the expectancy or the mikvah, it's using the word mikvah there, not tikvah, of all Israel, all who forsake you are put to shame. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth. Another way of saying you're going to be dead. You're going to be written in the earth, okay? Uh, because you have what? You have forsaken Yahuwah, the fountain of living water. Now we see this idea of water coming in here in Jeremiah. And then it goes on, heal me, O Yahuwah, so that I am healed. Save me so that I, I am saved, for you are my praise. See, they have said to me, where is the word of Yahuwah? Let it come now. <laughs> John's proclaiming it. And I have not turned away from my being a shepherd who follows you, nor have I longed uh, for the uh, desperately sick day. You yourself have known that which came out of my lips was what? Before you. Sounds a lot like what John says. He who was before me, he who's coming after me was before me. 
So I can go on, but let me finish up because we're real close on time here. And like John says in Isaiah, but those who what? Kaval, gather. Let, let me read it this way. Those who gather on Yahuwah renew their strength. How do you gather on to someone? I think it's easy in, he, in the concept of Hebrew. How do we gather to him? How we gather on? The only way that we can gather to our Father is to do the commandments that he's given us. Okay? Then we will rise up on wings of eagles. And we will not get weary. And we will not faint. It's the same story playing out. The same story of hope that they had at the mountain, the same story of hope that we have now. So I'll end there. So I want you to uh, keep in mind now this idea of baptism, this idea of the mikvah, of the gathering, what John's proclaiming and what he's doing. He's bringing hope to the people. Hope in the sense of, let's understand the hope of bringing everybody together. That's why they were coming out there. And then you see the association with uh, tikva, with the mikvah, the idea of the water, of the gathering of the waters, the gathering of the people together. That's, the, that's what I want to convey to you when you read the story of John emerging Messiah or that whole uh, story going on. And we'll have Mark and then we'll, we'll close here. I'm just now reminded of one of Living Messiah's foundational statements, and that is, Polly and I were always, we always felt directed by the Almighty that our, one of our core purposes was to gather God's people together to worship. That's awesome. Thank you, Mark. So remember, the baptism, it's all about if immersing yourself into his words. And guess what? There is no salvation until you emerge and change your life and follow after him. So I'll leave that. I have to close here. Father Yahweh, we give you great thanks. Father, we thank you that you, you do. You have given us hope. And Father, we know we need that all the time. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your promises. And we expect these things and are going to happen. We thank you, Father, for being with us and renewing us in the blood of your Son, your very words that became flesh and dwelt among us. We thank you again. Amen. Those online, thank you for being with us, and thank you again, everyone, for your time. I do appreciate it. So if you have any more questions or whatever, you can always talk to me. Shabbat shalom.